the coronavirus has disrupted so much of, of what we've become used to over time that we have this great opportunity to better the future in all those areas. So I, I think, you know, we took, we sometimes call them accidental improvements or the silver lining of this whole thing. I, I think there's, there's disruption and sometimes you have to cause a disruption to make progress. Here we have a situation where things that needed disrupted have been disrupted. It's now just up to us to continue to better the future. Welcome to District Leader, a podcast about moving and inspiring educators and non-educators alike to believe in the power of education, its leaders, and its transformation with your host, Luis Valentino. Hi, everyone. I hope you are doing well and keeping safe. It has not been an easy eight months, and unfortunately, not much reprieve in the near future. For listeners of Season 2 of the District Leader Podcast, you know that most of the interviews I've done have focused primarily on the challenges and opportunities the pandemic has put in front of educational leaders and their communities. For each one of my guests, how they are addressing the pandemic in support of their students has demonstrated the hope and the vision they have in leading into the future. These leaders are working to lessen the challenges students face by leveraging opportunities, whether applying virtual, hybrid, or full in-person teaching models. It has also called upon districts to work in ways that are unfamiliar and to trust in their capacity to lead. Creating student-centered environments, personalizing instruction, and addressing life-ready competencies are important to creating that future and our themes we will be discussing today. My guest is Dr. Brian Troop, who serves as the superintendent of the Ephrata Area School District in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Brian earned a bachelor's degree from Millersville University, a master's degree from the University of Memphis, and his doctorate is from Nimaculada University. He serves as a member of the Pennsylvania Association of School Administrators, is on the Board of Governors as an American Association of School Administrators representative, as a member of the Research and Development Committee. He is on the National Council for Digital Conversion, the Ed Leader 21 Network Advisory Committee, and is a member of the AASA Transformational Leadership Consortium. We will speak with Brian right after our affiliate sponsors' messages. I would like to thank our affiliate sponsors, Audible, the world's largest producer and provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, edX, the trusted platform for adult education and learning, learning resources where their mission is to help kids love to learn, and wiredprofiles.com, education's daily digest. You can learn more about our affiliate sponsors at www.districtleader.net slash sponsorship. Brian, hello. Welcome to District Leader Podcast. Thanks for having me here. Um, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing all right. If you would have told me back in August that we would have had two full months without a single building closure in, in the 2020-2021 school year, I would have signed up for that. So we're here we are beginning in November, and uh, we haven't had a single closure in any of our buildings yet. That's wonderful. How is your community dealing with the pandemic? Our community uh, really has stepped up from the closure 
back in March throughout the summer, I mean, people have been stepping up with volunteering food items, transportation to kids that needed to get to school or, or to pick up food. It's really been a community effort in, in our community. And with the reopening, we had lots of conversation with, with stakeholders about uh, how we were going to reopen, what options uh, they needed and what what was important to them as we opened. So when we came up with our plan and communicated it and got feedback and had parents, you know, select which instructional mode their kids were going to start the year in, we were able to uh, accommodate smaller class sizes and by serving a lot of kids in an online environment at the option of the parent. And then so far, that's that's the, the plan that we are, are still operating and it's working pretty well on. We're pleased to, to be able to really offer choice to parents in this time when uh, a lot of things are happening externally that are limiting choices. Yeah. So can you describe your school district to our listeners? Sure. We're about an hour west of Philadelphia. We serve 4,300 approximately uh, students K to 12. We have a, four elementaries, an intermediate school, a middle and a high school, as well as a, a virtual academy. We have a, about 50%, 45 to 50% free and reduced lunch rate. And we're not very diverse. We have about 80% white and then 20% uh, mostly Hispanic and black population. What has the experience of leading through this pandemic been like for you? Well, it, it's really been uh, a humbling experience to, to be a part of, of a team tackling these, leading through a pandemic and, and doing things in public school that have never been done before. It's called on all of us uh, to step up, and, and we've found the importance of being transparent in decision-making. Our communications have, have stepped up and, and have really been appreciated to, to be able to have open dialogue. As, as an uh, administrator of this, my ninth year as a superintendent, and a lot of my team has been with me that entire time, it, it's, we've had to all step back and recognize we're in a learning mode in a lot of situations because we don't know the answer to some of the challenges, and, and we may not know them until we get closer to having to tackle them when when the situation arises so being comfortable and saying that you know we don't know yet and and we'll find out is something that that over the last couple of years we haven't had to do in a lot of situations because we were very intentional in our planning and our communications this has really kind of set us all into that into that learner mode so an area of interest to you is the importance of student-centered environments what makes a learning environment student-centered Certainly starting with, with the student and planning outward from there. So uh, the design of the entire environment, a shift in mindset to uh, not, not to have the learner become compliant to the system, but have the system be customized to the learner. So there's a mindset that kind of underlies the idea of a learner, learner-centered environment, student-centered environments in our district. We think uh, environment should be flexible. Uh, there should be multiple ways for kids to demonstrate mastery to access learning certainly supportive for whatever the, the, the student needs, whether that be supportive emotionally and some, some things that they may need outside of the normal uh, instructional domain or uh, accommodations that uh, will serve to more deeply engage them in, in the content. And, and certainly we, we believe a learner-centered environment should be collaborative where the, the teacher and the student share ownership of classroom operations and, and students feel like respected partners in that situation. So given the pandemic, do you think creating those environments becomes easier in in some cases for some students or more difficult just in general? I think it presents opportunities really to to increase ownership by students because, you know, safety protocols, mask and face covering protocols and and rules, um, those are all opportunities for kids and teachers to develop them together and and understand the purpose of them. And come up with ways that, that make sense for them. And, and, you know, 
even room layout, like if we're trying to get six foot social distance during a certain activity, how can we set the, the classroom up physically? Sixth graders are great at figuring out new and creative ways on how to arrange their classroom. And, and they're certainly invested in that when they were, when they had a voice in creating it. What is your model now? Are you in full in-person hybrid or full virtual? We have about 80% of our students coming in on a uh, face-to-face. We're calling it modified traditional. At the high school, that's only four days a week. And we have a virtual day for all secondary students on Wednesdays. We have about 20% that are engaged in online. Um, We're actually live streaming from classrooms under the laptops and iPads that that students have at home. So that's the, the most popular online option. We also have a a virtual academy that's a separate curriculum, but most of our kids who aren't coming into school are tuning in at home. And then we have, we have some kids that, you know, it worked for their schedule to, to come to face-to-face two days a week, and they just picked the two days that, that they wanted to come in, and they were doing three days of online at home. So we're trying to be flexible and responsive, knowing that every home situation is a little different, and, and uh, we, we wanted to make sure we had options that, that kind of met the needs of, of parents and families at home. So that need, Brian, is where you can actually leverage the notion of creating those environments that are more student-centered because of the variety, right, of households that actually feed into your system and how the needs may be, the, the differences or the needs may surface more clearly in this kind of situation. Have you been able to leverage any of that as you focus on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the ability, I mean, we designed the, these programs to be aligned where that, you know, day two or day 22 of the virtual program is completely aligned with day 22 of the uh, face-to-face so that we know kids, you know, they may, they may come home one day and, and dad says, Hey, I got tested at work today. I'm COVID positive. We're now quarantined for 14 days. And that, that, you know, that fifth grader may go from one day from Tuesday being in class to Wednesday and the next 14 days being online. We didn't want to have a big transition issue there. So, as any community uh, experiencing this pandemic, there are times when parents have to quarantine, when students have to quarantine, when employees have to quarantine. So offering that that ability to switch lanes, if you will, uh, at a moment's notice, has really helped them not not kind of have to get caught up when they're when they're out on the quarantine and can't can't engage. So that's been the uh, one of the big benefits of the, the way that our system is designed and having technology in kids' hands, we we can afford them a can continuous learning experience, even if they have to go into a quarantine or an isolation situation. So, so that goes to another area of interest to you, and that is the personalized instructional technique. So the student-centeredness really can evolve into being more mindful of personalized instruction, which is something that I think all of us in school districts across the country are going to be thinking about moving forward, even when the pandemic ends and we return right, that we hopefully have understood how to leverage what's possible as a result of what we've learned through this pandemic. How has personalized instruction in general impacted how you've approached the work? Well, our emphasis in personalizing instruction is, is really, you know, it's part of our bigger instructional model. We have a, a portrait of a graduate that represents our, our targets, where we want kids to be, what are the important things beyond what's measured on standardized tests. We know, you know, there's technology as a component that we have to uh, leverage or that we, we can leverage to engage kids more, more personally. But then really looking at the instructional techniques that we're using based in research that we know if, if students have, have a voice in the operations of the class and how they're going to learn and what they're going to learn, who they're going to learn it with, and, and the, the pace at which they, they can learn it, they're going to be much more invested in that process. 
So uh, certainly shared ownership of the classroom operation and the instructional process is, is crucial for, for us for personalized learning. Have, it, have it the ability to be customizable. This is a work that we're still heavily involved in. Our, our curriculum was not in, in a format that could be accessed by the students. And what I mean by accessed is to be able to be understood so that they could be, you know, valued co-planners, co-designers of the instructional path. And, and until we get our curriculum to a place that, you know, in all courses, we've made a lot of progress in a lot of areas and we still have some to finish up, but we're seeing that the more students can say, you know what, I can show how to, how did that math concept works with what I do in my computer science class. And I can build a, I can do some coding that'll show that in a, in a better way. And it's more relevant and personally uh, engaging to me. So if our curriculum is written in the right way, it can be accessible by kids. They can co-design and co-plan their learning path. And then finally, you know, there's a level of transparency, I think, that has to exist in, in a personalized instructional um, environment where the learning targets aren't hidden. They aren't surprises for the kids. They should be able to see where they're going and why they're going there. And, and the teacher should be able to defend why this is an important thing for us to be studying, this, why this is a, a good way for us to study it, why this is a, a, an effective way for you to demonstrate that you, you ma have mastered it and you're ready to move on. It has a lot to do with the relationship and what the teacher is able to uh, develop as far as structures within the classroom. A key goal in, in your school district when you talk about standards and meeting a set of competencies, those related to life readiness. What do you mean when you talk about life ready competencies in your school district? That was actually where we started our, our sort of transformation is setting that new set of goals out there for kids that knowing that content mastery of just knowing the right answer, that's not sufficient for success in life anymore. If you can Google it, the fact that you know it without Googling it is, is, is somewhat irrelevant. Um, if you can't put it into play in your communications, critical thinking, problem solving, apply it creatively or use it in collaboration with, with others on, on a team, the, the content get, kind of gets wasted. So we've, we've really done a lot to focus on not only the, the knowledge that's important for kids to know in the 21st century, but what skills are important that they need to demonstrate to apply that knowledge through skills. And then the, the final category, we have three, three categories in our, in our portrait. The third is the dispositions. So what types of kids are we trying to produce? We, we want honesty, integrity, responsibility to be evident in their character. Um, we want students to be adaptable and flexible. Certainly this pandemic has given us lots of opportunities to demonstrate that as adults. Continual learning and growth mindset are key components of our, of our dispositions as well as resilience and grit. So we really have knowledge, skills, and dispositions and, and some bullet points that we develop collectively as a community, as educators, and then certainly within our broader community. I think one of the exciting things about our portrait is it's endorsed by our community. So we have bank presidents and hospital managers, um, independent uh, companies, contractors, all, you know, actually on video recording their own uh, perspective that why schools should stop just focusing on getting the right answer to the question on the test to getting knowledge into play in real time, relevant problem solving, things that are engaging the kids and things that simulate what's, what's going to be asked of them in the workforce or in college or in grad school uh, and beyond. So we're, we're excited about uh, having a, something that's, that's worth aiming towards. And, and uh, it's kind of one of the aspects of doing this work is a lot of teachers have kind of gotten burnt out with just being evaluated by the test score and, and just aiming towards that narrow view of what's easy to measure. The things that we're having folks focus on and, and giving feedback upon 
those things are um, much more valuable and, and much more resemble what teachers got into this business to do. They don't want to be measured by a score and they don't want to measure their kids by a score. They want to look at the whole child and know that there's like a personality, some character and, and skills that can be applied and some things that, that they don't normally get a chance to uh, focus their energies on. So that's given us some re- renewed energy. Over the last eight months through the uh, pandemic experience, having something that was more meaningful than just the test was crucial. I mean, it's helped us kind of weather the storm and, and the turbulence that that has been thrown our way has been, I think, less of, a, of an obstacle to get through because we kind of were grounded in knowing that, hey, we're working to produce kids that are going to be successful in life, no matter what they choose after us, not just measured on some test. So, Brian, as you went through that visioning process that brought you to the level of clarity that you have now, what stood out for you? What what were a haws for you during that process? Because the process was really focused on one was, as we talked briefly a second ago, life ready competencies, but it was certainly much broader than that, right? So what, what stood out for you as you were going through that that helped you gain the kind of clarity you have now? Yeah, that's a, good, that's a great question. I, I, think, I think it really started uh, in conversations with my board uh, just to say, you know, are we all on the same page about what the purpose of our district is? What is public education for? You know, in, in back in 2015, we were asking that and, and really came to the realization that, that our system was built for a time when factory workers was the number one occupation after leaving high school that we didn't know a whole lot about how to engage at a personal level what what made you know learning happen happen most rapidly and um, we didn't have a lot of the instructional tools that we have today to engage them so changes in in the technology we have changes in in learning science and changes in the workplace that we're preparing kids for make the current model the traditional model not a fit anymore i mean it was back then when we were in earlier times but so that realization to say, you know what, we need a system that's more responsive and to the, to the world that our kids are going into, that's leveraging the tools and techniques that we have today, and is more insightful about what it takes to engage kids at a personal level. And since then, that's, that's been kind of the charge. And, and the first thing we said to do, okay, if we're going on a journey um, and we're taking a new path than the traditional, we need to know where we're going. So what does it look like at the end? When we have graduates that are prepared and we've done our job. What do they look like? And that's when we started doing our graduate portrait of a graduate, our life ready graduate um, is what we call it. That process started at that point. And now that we had that, we have that for about two years now, we're realizing that to get that product, those, those kids to have those knowledge, skills, and dispositions, you know, deeply ingrained and in part of who they are, we need to change the instructional world. So our instructional model was the next thing that we really tackled. And, and that's where we got into the techniques that we've been talking about, the personalized learning techniques, focusing on student-centered, safe environment for them. Um, how are we using technology, both as a learning and a teaching tool, as well as really getting clear about what does communication and critical thinking look like at fourth grade? What does it look like at eighth grade? How do we track kids in that progression towards their graduates so we know that you know, they're on a path that's going to get them there? Brian, what is keeping you up at night? I think the the challenges that, that kids are facing that we sometimes never know about, the social and emotional needs of our kids, a lot of times, uh, especially in the separation and the, the increased use of technology, sometimes can mean we're less likely to pick up on those nonverbal things that when the kids are in the classroom every day, you can kind of see, okay, body language has changed or you know they're not as talkative as, as they used to be. When they're just a rectangle on a screen, it's hard to get those, those, those feedback. So I'm, I'm worried about the social-emotional needs not getting met. And uh, 
that's a growing need at the same time pandemics causing us uh, to be less less able to pick up on the cues are there any lessons to be learned from this experience a lesson that, that we've taken is is really reinforced our, our decision to focus on much more than just the test scores all the the, the skills and dispositions the the right two columns of our profile of a graduate those are the things that have been most valuable to the adults and the, and the students to handle the you know these changing uh, winds of of the regulations that have been put on us as a result of this pandemic so we've had to solve problems in new and creative ways that we never had before you know we've had to communicate more transparently and to different audiences and, and technical information in a way that everyone can understand and i mean there's been a lot of challenges that go under the skills category that we've we've not seen before so i think that you know that's a lesson that we can take away from this experience so what advice do you have for our listeners during this time whether a parent a teacher a school or district leader to inspire them to remain hopeful i i think if you just look at how kids are responding our our kids are so resilient and and uh, flexible and roll with the things that we have thought okay how are kids going to do this how are we going to get kids to understand this how are we going to get them to comply you know with the mask and take it kids just rise to the occasion. I mean, we've had so many uh, situations where kids just kind of blew the doors off our expectations and being mature citizens, uh, even at the middle school and high school age, uh, we had some situations where we needed to know information about something to address a situation that, that was, you know, potentially uh, would have caused too many kids to be in, in the area at the same time. And they came up with solutions and, and, and executed the communications and it worked. It was like, it's exceptional. So the hope of, of the future for me is that we've had kids that have had uh, lessons, real life lessons in problem solving and responsiveness and, and collect, have seen the collective value in coming together. They're going to take that with them. That's something that's not just going to leave them and go back to normal after this whole thing's over. They're going to be more resilient, more gritty generation than we've seen. And uh, that's what I'm hopeful about in, in seeing them uh, take on and, and take on leadership roles in the world. Great. Thank you for that. Do you have a quotation that you can share that resonates with you that you would like to share with our listeners? Actually, one that, that we've used for about three years because we were the ones trying to disrupt the traditional system. The administration was, the board was, and some key lead teachers. There's a quote by Catherine Booth, who was the co-founder of the Salvation Army over 100 years ago. She said, if we are to better the future, we must first disturb the present. That one spoke to us because as we're trying to disturb the present, we shouldn't feel bad about, you know, hey, things are going to be a little rough for a while. And we'll come out of it on the other side after we kind of disrupt this part. We'll rebuild it even better and more reflective of, of present times. The coronavirus has disrupted so much of, of what we've become used to over time that we have this great opportunity to better the future in all those areas. So I, I think, you know, we took we sometimes call them accidental improvements or the silver lining of this whole thing. I, I think there's disruption and sometimes you have to cause a disruption to make progress. Here we have a situation where things that needed disruptive have been disrupted. It's now just up to us to continue to better the future. Thank you. Let me ask you a question inside of that quotation. If we are to disrupt the present, how do we create the conditions so that people feel safe given the level of fear, the amount of anxiety that we are all working through, whether it's the students, the teacher, the site administrator, the parents, et cetera, so that they can actually think beyond the present towards that positive change that the, the quotation alludes to. 
Yeah, I, I think the culture is is crucial there. It ha- you have to have done the work to create a, a trusting culture that risk taking is is encouraged. That you know you have open and transparent communications that you're consistent with those. That that people know that you know they'll be judged on their intent more so than their results of risk taking or trying a new strategy. I mean that has to be modeled from the top in transparent communications and trust building, and it has to be done at every level. So. I think you create that environment where people know that they're safe and they're connected together and they're heading towards something that's greater and know that they have the support of the administration to do that. I think people readily suggest and find new ways to be, to be innovative and find new solutions in these, in these times when we're trying to rebuild some of the structures that have been disrupted. So as the superintendent for you, this has meant that you have gone into this with a strong belief in what's possible beyond the the challenges that are being faced right now. Can you briefly talk about just that, just your own mindset? I'm certainly an optimist by nature. And, and I, I think the greatest thing about public education is that, that being in it today, um, in this time where we have this opportunity to uh, seize the moment, the mismatch between what the world needs and what the traditional system is aimed at producing has never been more clear than now. And every year, it seems like it becomes becomes more of a of an obvious point. The excitement about uh, of teachers and board members and our community of doing the work to align that in a time when we've had all this disruption, where we have to realign and, and do work anyway. It's exciting to be in a position to be able to help orchestrate that, to be able to help guide that. So, I feel really fortunate to be in the position I'm in in the district and community that I'm in on with the team that I have, all understanding the opportunity that we have right now to really forge ahead in a new way that's going to produce a better system for our kids. Thank you. I appreciate that, Brian. Brian, I want to thank you for joining me on District Leader today and for taking time from your day to chat with us. If people are interested in extending the conversation with you, how can they contact you? Whether it's Twitter, Facebook, email? Twitter. Um, I'm active on Twitter at DRB Troop. That's, that's a great way to message or, or to, to follow. Certainly my email address and our website for our district, everything that I've talked about is offered on our website at a, on a resources page because we want to share the work. If we can help students and districts you know, make headway during this time, we'd love to do that. So that's easdpa.org. And that's our district website. And there's a lot of resources on there, including my, my email address is right on our homepage. So I'd love to, to hear uh, follow-up conversations or, or make connections that, that can be mutually beneficial in this work. Thank you. And we'll certainly be following to see how things go for you out in your school district. Great. Thank you. Thanks again, Brian. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. And that was my conversation with Superintendent Brian Troop. If you would like to connect with Brian and extend the conversation, his contact information will be available in the show notes, along with links to other material covered in this episode, which can be found at districtleader.net. Don't forget to browse the District Leader website for updated resources. I would like to thank our affiliate sponsors for their support and thank you for joining us. And don't forget, tell a friend.